0: John chapter 4, and as you're turning there, I'll tell you about a friend of mine back in Washington. He, he has all these different humorous t-shirts, and he has one that says, it seemed like a good idea at the time. It seemed like a good idea at the time, dot, dot, dot. It speaks to that human experience common to all of us where we just end up in places and we wonder, how did I get here? And we know deep down we got there because we wanted to get there in some sense. We, we had desires. We had cravings. And we followed those desires and cravings. And then we end up somewhere. And, and often we end up in places. We end up in circumstances. We end up in relationships or out of relationships. We end up in jobs or out of jobs. We end up stuck in, in bad habits, maybe addictions of one kind or another. And we don't want to be there. And we ask the question, how did I get here? I think of the, the common addictions, things that we feel ashamed of, embarrassed by, areas of enslavement, the well-known, obvious ones, things like alcohol addiction or, or drug addiction, sex addiction, and then there are the less obvious forms of addiction, many of them, addicted to control or addicted to the approval of other people addicted to things like food, right? And we, and we feel embarrassed, and we feel stuck, and we feel, in a sense, overpowered by these cravings and these desires, and we ask ourselves, how did I end up here? And in John chapter 4, we have this story, a familiar story about Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. And she was someone who was asking herself, how did I end up here? And what we'll see as we look at this story together is we'll see that while we do not want to end up in those places, we do end up in those places. And while that seems to us discouraging or humiliating, in reality, that's where God meets us most profoundly, most deeply. That's where he ministers his grace to us in the most impactful and revolutionary ways in our lives. So we're going to talk about living water. Living water for our thirsty souls, those cravings, those desires, and how God meets us there and ministers his mercy and grace to us. So John chapter 4, we'll make our way through this familiar story, and we'll make some simple observations as we walk through. Begin in verse 3, and I want you to observe with me the providence of this encounter. Verse 3 says, he, that is Jesus, left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Why don't you stop there? It says Jesus was heading to Galilee had his disciples with him. And it says in verse 4, and you can just fly right by this, but I want you to pause and think about this with me. It says, he had to pass through Samaria. One translation would be, it was necessary for him to pass through Samaria. Which means this was not an accident. This was by design. If Jesus and his disciples would have left five to ten minutes earlier, or five to ten minutes later, they would not have encountered this woman, but this was providence. This was the plan. They had to go through Samaria. Jesus had to talk with this woman. The Jewish people, when they were traveling, would often avoid Samaria. It was known as an area where there were people who were outcast, kind of mixed breeds, the Samaritans were, and so the Jews would purposefully avoid them. But Jesus says, no, we're, we're going there. We're going there. Have someone very important to talk with there. It's that idea of providence. You hear the expression, you know, nothing happens by accident. Everything that occurs in this life in one way or another is a part of God's providential plan. And this is included. In, and we could even say, I think we could be even on, on solid ground to say, we are here this morning by that same providence. That God has us here today by that same providence. To approach us, to minister to us. Notice next with me the exposure of this situation. So it says at the end of verse 7: Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, "'Ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans.' Jesus answered and said to her, "'If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, "'Give me a drink,' you would have asked him, and he would have given you living living water.' She said to him, "'Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. "'Where then do you get that living water?' You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. There's exposure here. First of all, there's exposure regarding the thirst of the body. She went to that well, the Samaritan woman went to that well because she needed water. We all need water. Without water, we don't get to live, right? So she is a necessity. She went to get water, and it was, uh, it was hard work. There's a, there's a series out. It's been out, I think, for a year or so, maybe a few years, called The Chosen. Maybe some of you have seen that. It's the life of Jesus. It's kind of a new... Um, production of the of the life of jesus and it 's pretty well done there 's an episode about this encounter and you and you it 's really helpful because it paints this vivid picture. you, you notice the woman just sweating and it 's hard work it 's labor to go out to this well and she 's exhausted and she has to carry these heavy pots to carry the water in and all of that and and so it 's uh, exposing in terms of the human need for water we just we need water and it it's, it takes effort to get it and and back then they were more familiar with that effort now it 's easy. We were in the airport the other day, and you know it used to be we would bring our empty water bottle we 're not allowed to carry liquid through the security area anymore, so you bring your empty water bottle and you have to find the water fountain or the the bubbler—they still call it a bubbler around here. That was a big controversy back in the day uh, when I moved to Florida. Like, what's a bubbler? What do you mean? What's a bubbler? Everybody knows what a bubbler. So, water fountain bubbler, whatever you call it. Now, um, so you know, it used to be you go there and you have the kind of inconvenience of tipping your little by trying to aim the water out of that thing. Is always now you just put it on the, and it just fills it for you. It's a sensor. You don't even have to hold it. You just put it there and it fills your bottle with water and you're on your way. So, water is extremely easy to get today. And we ought to be grateful for that. Back then, not so easy. And Jesus speaks to her about water. And at first, she's thinking, he's talking about the same water that she could drink, that same water for the thirst of the body. And she's like, well, wait, wait a minute, what's this? Because he tells her about this living water. Says, well, that's intriguing. If, if, if it's something, I don't have to keep coming back here. That sounds really appealing, that water but there's a deeper level, isn't there? There's a deeper level. This passage also says something about the thirst of the soul. Where do we see the thirst of the soul in this passage? Where do we see the thirst of the soul with regard to this Samaritan woman? We see it when Jesus asks her a question, a probing question. He says, oh really it's a, I should say it's a statement. Go call your husband and come here. Go call your husband. Jesus created this woman. He's the creator, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit created the, the universe, the world we live in. And each individual, including this Samaritan, he created her. He knew her. He knew everything about her. So he says, go call your husband, knowing full well that she was on relationship number six. Do you think when she was a teenager, do you think she said, you know, what What I really want to do is I want to have five failed marriages. I'm looking forward to that. That's, you know, when when I grow up, I want to be that person. You think she said that? It's that idea we talked about earlier. How did I get here? It was the thirst. It was the craving. It was desire. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Seemed like it would be fulfilling. Seemed like it would be fun. Seemed like it would be satisfying. And then on to the next quest for fulfillment, right? It's, it's common to all of us. No one says, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a hypochondriac. <laughs> COVID's helping. We're all hypochondriacs now. <laughs> Certifiable. Thank you, COVID, for that, for a bunch of other things. When I grow up, I want to be, a, I want to be an uptight, self-righteous Jerk. That's what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> when I grow up, I want to be an alcoholic. When I grow up, I want to be a sex addict. Nobody says that. Nobody says that. We just sort of end up there. Because of our thirst, because of our cravings, because we're just chasing and chasing and chasing. And we, we can't, I can, remember the old song, I can't get no, what? satisfaction Jesus is putting his finger on that, on that profoundly human problem and not to shame her not to rub her nose in it but as a mercy to her invites her to accept exposure to consider her need Jesus loves her Jesus is endeavoring to rescue her Jeremiah 2 was read earlier, section where it says, My people have committed two evils. They have departed from me, or they have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, to form for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, which hold no water. I could tell you about a number of broken cisterns in my life. The early years, chasing the kind of the, the pagan kind of pleasures of life, and trying to find fulfillment and grat- gratification in those areas, and then later even going on to Bible college and seminary. That there are even sort of religious idols. Religious cisterns to which we turn and say, Well, this is, this is how now I can control my life and I can create a life for myself with, with all the amenities that I want. And I've got now God in my corner to help me create that sort of perfect life. And so we chase and we chase. And, and, and whichever direction, it's like inevitable we, we end up at this place where we're still just thirsty. We get little tastes, maybe, but we're just still thirsty. We're, we're just not satisfied, and, and we have this loving God who, through circumstances, through biblical teaching, through relationships, exposes us. It says, where are you thirsty? A loving God. So we've thought about his providence. We've thought about this idea of exposure, We've reflected on Jeremiah 2 again, that it's really this, this vertical reality that begins with this problem we have with God. And thankfully, the solution also comes from that same God. So now we, we want to talk about grace. Let's observe grace in this passage. First of all, we could just say the fact that Jesus planned to go to meet with this woman, unqualified for so many reasons, I mean, even it's referenced there in the text. But she says, how how would you, a Jew, talk with me? And how would you, a man, talk with me? A woman, that just wasn't done back then. So Jesus is violating all these little ethical kind of unwritten laws back then to, 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 to show mercy to this woman. So he's... And showing grace to her, and 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 so she was this undeserving person, and, and there's grace in that sense, and there's grace in him saying to her, "Hey, look, I've got this living water, and and you've worked so hard, and 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 you're working hard to get this physical water, this natural water, and and you're working so hard to fulfill the, the deepest levels of your soul. You're working so hard. You're so tired. You're you're physically tired. You're emotionally tired. You're spiritually tired. You're just." Worn out. And he says, hey, I've got this living water. And and while what you work for will never fulfill you, this is water that I give you freely by grace. And when you taste this water, you'll never thirst again. It's a gracious offering. He's offering her relationship with her creator. He's offering her forgiveness He's offering her the fountain of living water, God Himself. He is God in the flesh, saying, I'm here for you. I care about you and the misery and the suffering that you're experiencing. So He exposes not to shame, not to harm, but to cover and to heal. I a professor in seminary, and it, he said this and it really made me think. He said, you know, the, the Bible is, is not just a book that we come to and interpret. Okay, how do I understand this book? He said, the, the Bible is a book we come to which interprets us, which understands us, which diagnoses us, which exposes us in order to redeem us, in order to save us, in order to heal us, in order to open our eyes to see who our God really is. Because at the bottom, we all have a really hard time believing that he's that good, that he's provided for us that abundantly, that in him we have absolutely everything we need it's the hardest thing to believe. And so we have a God who is committed to persuading us of that. That's exactly what he's doing in the story with this woman at the well. Extending grace. And then the last observation we're going to make, let's just read the last section here, or at least one last portion of the story. From verse 19 through verse 30, and this has to do with worship. Kind of the response to grace. So look at verse 19, it says, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is. And the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him as a footnote, I'll just say later in the text here, you see that, I mean, she continues to just tell people about Jesus. And and the idea is, hey, come see this guy who told me everything about myself and who will tell you everything about yourself. Now, if you are still awake, which I hope you are, you might think, wait a second. If someone knows everything about me, and tells everything about me, even the deepest, darkest stuff. I might not want to encourage other people to go to him. I might want to say, hey, stay away from that guy. <laughs> he knows everything. It ain't good. He's going to show it all. I'm telling you, it's going to be embarrassing. Like, stay away from him. But she didn't say that. Why? Because she has received grace, right? Right? Because that uncovering, that exposure was healing to her. Remember in the garden, Adam and Eve, they have this problem. They've partaken of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, and they realize something is not right. And so they manufacture clothing for themselves to cover, to hide, and they run away. And God comes to them to expose, hey, where are you? Asking, exposing, probing questions to say, hey, where are you? So that he can provide superior covering. And he'll go on to kill the animal and cover them with skin, and Say, hey, look, this is a foreshadowing of the greatest possible covering. When Christ comes, and we, we finished singing about it not too long ago and grants to us his righteousness and covers us in his righteousness so that we can so that we can accept that yeah it's really a broken mess inside of there even when you know we can kind of hide it you know good church folks like myself we can hide it externally but we we know Man, I'm still enslaved to so many of those desires, still the craving, still the, the harm that I invite into my own life, into the lives of the people closest to me, the people that I harm because of it. I know it, and, and I want to hide it, and, and, and God just perpetually invites me Just Hey, just, my covering is sufficient for you. You're righteous in Christ. You're loved in Christ. You're not going to forfeit that status. And, and that's the most amazing reality there is. Because that is foreign. That is not natural. That is worthy of worship because what is worthy of worship is that which is amazing, stunning. This is stunning love. And that's why she could say, hey, come see this guy. It's the Messiah. I think he's here. He told me everything. And he spoke the truth which sets free. And I want you to know the same truth. So that you can have that same freedom and healing and hope. So that you too can taste the living water of Christ. She had worked and worked and worked and worked throughout her life. It was her work that had her in that situation of sixth relationship. And Jesus had graciously provided for her. And he was helping her understand So her response was which is the only fitting response response was to worship. A while ago I heard a a commencement ceremony speech by a a writer, thinker, actually an agnostic. He grappled with his beliefs, and it may be that he became a a believer in Christ before he passed. I'm not sure, but sadly, he did go on to commit suicide. His name is David Foster Wallace, kind of well-known. If you look him up, you'll find some viral moments that he has, some YouTube videos and things, but he was a very deep thinker, and I listened to his commencement speech, and, and you would expect with that sort of thing, you know, giving the final charge to a bunch of graduates at a college, that it would be this real positive Career oriented message. Hey, go out there and conquer the world. You know, go out there with your degree and change the world. And instead, he gave them a message that was just very insightful and, and probing and, and just asked them to consider the simple things in life. He challenged them to consider what really matters the most. And it's a perfect, really, setup for the gospel. And I want to read to you a portion of his speech. He said, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough to feel satisfied. You will never feel like enough is enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing you, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fears. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid. A fraud. Always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is they're unconscious. They're default settings. And I heard that and I thought of This very encounter, where Jesus says, I'm offering you living water. that will satisfy you. I'm offering you the one worthy object of worship. Your creator God, who loves you. Who sees right through the exterior, sees the worst of who you are. He knows you better than the people around you know you. He knows you better than, ready for this? He knows you better than you know you. I spend a lot of time counseling people. It's a part of my ministry that I really enjoy. And it's fascinating to me that often I'm talking with people you end up in my office with that same feeling. They, could, they might as well be wearing the t-shirt. <laughs> Seemed like a good idea at the time. How would I end up here? They end up there for that reason. Like I said earlier, we all end up there in some way, one way or another. And it's interesting as I talk with them and we try to sort of peel back the layers of, okay, so why did you make that decision? And what were you after? And, and why did you make that decision? And what, what did you want? And, and we just dig deeper and deeper into what they want. And you know what's fascinating about it? At some point, we get to this this deep, deep level where they say, and I've felt this, and you, I'm sure, have felt this as well. You know, I don't even know why I wanted that. I don't even know why. I mean, it felt good, tasted good, offered me this, was relieving in some way. Whatever it was, whatever the habit was, whatever the decision was, you know it. I mean, there's the reason, like, I know why, but I really don't know why. Like, why did that form of pleasure entice me? Why did that form of pleasure entangle me? Why in the world did I think it would be a good idea to date that person? <laughs> or fill in the whatever. Why? I don't even know why. The Bible presents a God who knows why. Better than you do better than I do. It has been said, God has made us for himself and our hearts are restless until we find rest in him. So where are those broken cisterns in your life? What are you chasing? What are you craving? Can you sense this morning your gracious God? Probing, asking, where are you stuck? Where do you feel ashamed? Where do you feel enslaved? Do you sense him saying, I have living, living water to offer you? When I mean, you drink this water, you'll never thirst. This water, which he would say to us, you get tastes of it now. In moments of clarity like this, when we say, Yeah, God is good, that, that taste, he says, one day we'll be home. Whatever takes us, we're all going to end up there. (laughs) One day we'll be home. We'll be with him. And we will know perfect satisfaction. And we will know perfect love. Because to have everything in Christ is to need nothing from anyone else. And in heaven, that's what we will know fully. We'll be restored. And there will be worship forever. Which is pretty exciting. Thank God for his kindness to us. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this story of this woman with whom we can identify, can relate to, who was ashamed, who had been condemned by many, and you providentially, sovereignly, graciously approached her to minister the truth of the gospel, to expose her and to offer her covering, to show her her thirst and to show her your provisions to quench that thirst with your living water. Father, as as the prophet Jeremiah said thousands of years ago, We have all committed two evils. We have departed from you, the fountain of living water, to form for ourselves cisterns that that hold no water, that leak. And so we say to you with that woman this morning, Lord, give me this water. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his coming into this world. Not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Thank you for his identifying with our humanity. Thank you for his sympathizing with all of our weaknesses and all of our temptations. And thank you for his provision of forgiveness, righteousness, mercy, grace, and on and on and on and on. And help us to be eager to explore those riches throughout this life and help us to look forward to the other side and we get to be home with you forever fully satisfied and overflowing with worship thank you again for this time thank you for the people you brought this morning thank you for the opportunity to get to know them thank you for my relationship with rob and the encouragement that we've enjoyed together and we just entrust the the days ahead to you in jesus name